1: Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. Welcome, Sherry, to the New Dimensions Cafe. I'm happy to be with you. I'm so happy to have you. You're talking about aging in this culture that is so focused on youth. Yet, I think you mention in your book that at least one in four people soon will be over 60. On the planet. On the whole planet. So this is new territory. And you're not providing a map exactly, but what are you alluding to in this book? What are you trying to coax us into becoming? I hope I'm providing a compass And the compass is
2: questions. And by questions, I don't mean simply idle, ordinary, boring, curiosity questions. I mean soul-level questions. And I think that if we can begin to listen for and make some space for the soul-level questions in our lives as we begin to grow older, they will be a compass for us and lead us to the deep places of wisdom.
1: That reminds me of a story that you tell in the book. It's a fairy tale, maybe from Germany or someplace in Europe. There is a story about
2: Sophie who goes in search of the wise elder. And I heard that story originally from Rabbi Jonathan Omerman, who actually told it about a rabbi. It's a story I heard Jonathan tell, when I was about 50 and the story embarrassed me because I realized I was doing just what Sophie was doing. So would you like me to tell the story? Oh, I would
1: love for you to share that with us. So in the story,
2: Sophie, and I imagine that she was about 50 at the same time, somewhere in the middle of her life. And she was a baker of bread And she was very happy as a baker of bread. Everything was going well in her village, someplace in Middle Europe in the maybe 1600s, 1700s. And then one morning, I think it was the morning that she turned 50, she woke up with a question that wouldn't go away. And so she asked her husband if he knew the answer to the question, but he didn't know. And then she asked her sisters and her mother, and nobody knew. And she asked all her neighbors, and nobody knew. And so she decided it was time to ask the Rebbe, the wise Rebbe who lived across the river from where they were. And she got dressed, and she baked a special hawa for the Rebbe and took it to him and said, I have a question every morning. It wakes me up, and it won't go away. She asked the Rebbe the question. He said, I have no idea what the answer to your question is. But there's a wise elder that lives seven days and seven nights distant from here. Go ask the elder. So Sophie decided that was just what she would do, and she made the journey. She got to the town of Helm, where the wise elder was supposed to be. She went to the marketplace and she asked for directions. And they said, oh, we're so sorry, but the elder is in retreat this year, contemplating the mysteries of the universe. Come back next year. Well, Sophie was no fool. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. Really, she sees no one. No one, no one at all. Uh, Well, I'd just like to see where she lives, you know, before I go back all the way. uh, Could you point out her house? Oh, yes, it's way up at the top of the hill behind the gooseberry bushes. Is sure no one? She sees no one. No, even the little boy who leaves her food every day at noon, he just knocks on the door and has to run away. Oh, says Sophie. So she climbs the hill and she hides in the bushes and she sees the little boy leave the basket and knock three times on the door and then leave and the door opens and the elder reaches in and brings the basket of food in and right after the basket of food comes Sophie tumbling into the room and she says excuse me I'm sorry to bother you but I have a question that won't go away and I've traveled here seven days and seven nights and here's my question do you know the answer at that point the elder sits back and she smacks on the side of the cheek Sophie and Sophie touches her cheek and she goes, oh, I, perhaps I wasn't speaking loudly enough. Perhaps you didn't understand. You see, I have been waking up every day with a question that won't go away. Here's the question. Can you tell me the answer? And the other cheek, the elder smacks her on the other cheek and then kicks her out the door and slams the door and locks it. Well, Sophie was angry enough to spit, which she did several times on either side. (laughs) And then she finally brushed herself off, and she's walking back down the hill, mumbling to herself, that elder is a stupid elder, not a wise elder, stupid elder. And a young woman is coming also down the hill, and she said, hello, excuse me, um, can I be of assistance? And Sophie tells her the story. The young woman says, my house, have a little schnapps, we'll talk. I'm actually a student of the elder, and um, I think I know what happened. So Sophie was still very angry, but she was also very curious. And she said, okay, tell me what you think happened. And the young woman said, I think she slapped you the first time because you thought the questions had to have answers. And I think she slapped you the second time because you were willing to trade your precious question for somebody else's
1: answer. And you said earlier before you started this story telling us this very precious teaching story that you felt that at some point in your life that's what you were doing. In all the points in my life, that's what I was doing.
2: That's what I was doing. I was trying to give my questions away and find an answer. Some wise teachers, some great book, many great books. I didn't know how to sit down and let the
1: questions show me, let the questions be a compass. Do you think that as we age, as we get older, as we ripen, as you mentioned in the title of your book, as we ripen, that it's really time that we do sit down and we start to not look so far afield for the answers, but start to search the soul for the right questions that we need to be asking of ourselves.
2: Yeah. And I love the way you you said, it's time. <laughs> That's right. That's what ripening time means. It's time. It's our time. Yes. but But you know, I don't think we have to effort at it at all. I think it's more like you kind of set your ear to notice the questions or the wondering or the that's already coming up and it might not look like a question and it certainly might not look like a question that comes after a dream that's fully formed in a sentence. Um, It might be a line of a song you hear or it might be something you overheard on the bus or it might be something you can't put into words but it has a certain feeling and you start to pay attention. And it's not because you think you should pay attention, it's just because you can't not pay attention.
1: Or maybe being slow enough in our life that we notice. I mean, in this particular postmodern world, we are busy, busy, busy. We're just traveling really fast and faster and faster. And postmodern life has a lot of complexity, but it's slowing down enough to notice that something grabbed our attention
2: yeah but i think the reason we get so fast is that we're running from what we think might happen if we slow down Uh aha say more about that you could just ask yourself how come i'm always in a hurry what might happen
1: if i wasn't what does it feel like to ask that question and then maybe our grief will catch up with us, or our fear will catch up with us, or we're we're not knowing, we're not. And are. how do we feel
2: about not knowing? Actually, genuinely not not knowing. having answers,
1: <laughs> catch up with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned one of your teachers, Almas Hamid Almas, and he said that you need two things, and it's about. Questions? Do you recall? Yes. What, uh, can you share that with us, please? Yes. His writing name is A.H.
2: Almas, and he's the founder of the Diamond Approach. And the methodology of the Diamond Approach is called open-ended inquiry. So when I first encountered that and really began to learn how to use questions, he said, you need two things. You need to recognize... That you don't know what you actually would like to know and you have to long to know the answer. So it has to be a question, not just like the come and go question, but something you really care about that your heart longs for. And you have to recognize that you don't know the answer. So when I first heard him say that, I thought I heard him wrong. Because, well, obviously you don't know the answer because that's why you have a question. But no, because we don't like not knowing what we want to know. It's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. It's like, I really, really don't know. And I really care. So... When I was a Zen student, I was a Zen student uh, for many years, Uh, I was pretty good at the not knowing part, but I didn't connect with my heart and my longing to know. And that's the engine. That's the fire. That's the, the flame that if you don't connect with how important this is to you, you cannot know and so what? There's a million things I don't know. But to not know and to long to know, that makes the difference. That
1: longing, that longing is a fire. I remember years ago being in Circle, and one of my good friends, she shared in Circle, this was Sedonia Cahill, how important longing was for her. And I could feel myself resisting that. Absolutely. I mean, I pushed back on the longing because I hated... Being in that place of not knowing, of feeling there was something more. I remember pushing and pushing back on that and not wanting to be in that place of something not resolved, so to speak. And it's taken me years and years to realize that that actually may be a very, very precious place. It's a very vulnerable, heartful place because
2: it's the heart that longs. It's the heart that loves. It's the heart that longs to know. So, you know, think of the great scientists, the Nobel Prize winning scientists often talk about how what whatever you love opens its secrets to you. But you have to be able to feel the love and that means you really want something and your heart really longs for it, well, you're not in control then and you don't know it'll happen. And the more in touch you get with this love and the openness of your heart, you don't know where it'll take you.
1: And it seems like as we age that the possibility of holding that not knowing gets hopefully bigger. Our world doesn't get smaller, it just gets more full of questions and more paradox. And we share that with each other and you mentioned being vulnerable. So in these last minutes, can you talk about the vulnerability of aging?
2: You know, when we hear the word vulnerable, usually, certainly in our culture, we think, oh no, don't go there, that's, that's a big mistake but it actually means sensitive enough to feel what matters. And I think as we get older, losses and endings make us more sensitive if we let them. And if we allow that sensitivity, it just leads us more and more to love, more and more to generosity, and we can't help it. It's just natural, like the way a river flows.
1: Sherry, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. I've been speaking with Sherry Ruth Anderson. She's the author of Ripening Time, Inside Stories for Aging with Grace. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, SherryRuthAnderson.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine willis Tom's, and I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Café, and I invite you, please do join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Café. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member—